I drove down to where I knew a bunch of prostitutes were, and one was walking, and she looked fairly normal. And so I rolled down my window, and I, I think I remember my exact words were... On this episode, Steve picks up a prostitute. Also, we talk with a mountain-climbing, bow-tie-wearing, world-traveling designer who's unlocked the secrets to creativity. It's going to be a good one. Let's get started. You are listening to the Rebel Storytellers Podcast. Rebel Storytellers. Candid conversations with dreamers, doers, and creative problem solvers. Hosted by Brad Wise and Steve Fuller. A wee podcast made in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're in the podcast studio talking to Michael Palmer. Michael J. Palmer? Nope. F. Michael Frederick Palmer. That is. Is it? Yeah, you nailed it. That does sound good. Grandfather's off the tongue. Grandfather's name, Frederick. It's a good name. I like it. It's a good, solid German name. Exactly. Um, why don't you tell us about your current role? Okay. My current role is marketing and creative director at uh, Boca Restaurant Group, who operates Boca Soto and uh, Nada in downtown Cincinnati. And we've just recently launched a new Nada, our first venture outside of Cincinnati in uh, Columbus. So for those of you who have never dined at these restaurants, you should uh, book a trip to Cincinnati and change that. Boca was just voted the best restaurant in Ohio from the Business Insider. Soto is downstairs serving up Italian fare in a dark, intimate setting. It's Steve's favorite spot, actually, in the entire city. And Nada, just on the corner of 6th and Walnut, they're serving up fancy, crazy good Mexican food. So I say all of that. Because a few weeks ago, when I saw Palmer and invited him to be on this podcast, he was eating lunch at the same place I was, Potbelly. He works right upstairs from the hottest restaurants in town, and he was at Potbelly. Makes no sense. All right, back to our conversation. Here's the thing with restaurants. We were talking a little bit off air about this. Our restaurant scene, it's, it's almost like it's leading the charge in changing our city. Um, I'm sure there's lots of different things we can point at that have helped sort of turn Cincinnati around and make it a place that people want to be. But going back, it just feels like, whether it's in downtown or over the Rhine or wherever, that places like Nada and Soto and Boca, it's like they're helping change the city. Like, is that is that part of your goal? 100%. In 2007, if you were downtown Cincinnati... It was quiet, you know. It was, you know, we we're a few years post, um, uh, you know, the not to mention riots that kind of really like squashed any energy and any movement that was going down um, in downtown Cincinnati. And it was, you know, nine to five, and people were out, and it was it was a ghost town. So, uh, in order to, there was maybe a, I think Ruby's might have been open already, but other than that, there was no, there's nothing. There's no dining options. Every anything that was open was closed by five or six or whatever. Uh, so you had to kind of do something with a little energy and a little special and like that kind of made people feel like they were getting an experience they couldn't get anywhere else in Cincinnati in order to get them down there. Um, so it had to become a destination. And I think, uh, you know, between, you know, Ruby's place up the street and Nada, there were a couple options that kind of did that. And, and that showed um, 3CDC and some folks that, that it was possible. And, you know, I'd like to think we had a little to do with kind of starting that little uh, ball rolling. To go along with that, you bought property downtown, I feel like, before most people did. What made you see the potential of the city that you were willing to come down here and, and buy a place? I think kind of projecting myself downtown and getting into the, the downtown spirit actually started by going away 
and living in other cities, as you know, Brad, from college with uh, co-ops and internships, um, you had the opportunity to live in some other places. And um, I think once I kind of caught that little bug of what it's like to live in an energetic kind of urban center, I wanted that for Cincinnati. And whether it was there or not, I kind of just went down there to uh-huh. see if I could figure it Forced out. Forced it. What were, um, the, what were the cities that you lived in over the years? Uh, I mean, I've lived prior to me first getting into Cincinnati, downtown Cincinnati and starting to be part of that. It was just uh, L.A. and Atlanta uh, since that time, New York, Dallas, London, Hamburg. Out of all of all of those cities. Cincinnati. B- besides the, the obvious west side, Cincinnati being your favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a favorite. I can't answer that question. You can't answer can't, that question? No, really? it's too hard of a question to answer. I love too many places. I love traveling. I love being out. I love living in other places. Well, how about this then? But if, it if makes I, me love Cincinnati more. And really? I, had, I always have moved back, you know. And each time I move back, I feel like I brought a different thing from an experience that I had prior back to Cincinnati with me. And it made me a little bit different of a person in Cincinnati, which I think is is kind of interesting. Which which is interesting because part of what we talk about on the podcast is just the idea of being creative and how people in their everyday lives are creative. And Brad teased me off air and kind of hurt my feelings a little bit when uh, he said that you were the person who can figure out what's going to be cool or popular or trendy before anyone else. And I always thought I was that person. <laughs> and, and, You're not. And Brad said no. <laughs> and I've even heard you, if, even if he wouldn't have told me that, I've heard you talk a few times about stuff like that. So how do you get in front of creativity in a way to where you're out there leading the charge versus you're just too late on stuff like that? Um, I don't know if there's a, a one easy, simple answer to that question. Uh, the first one, I mean, my main, I think my main answer is, um, I cheated, you know, I went out <laughs> and looked at everything that was going on in a million other places. I lived in LA for a little while with Brad and like there were, you know, things going on that I'd, that weren't happening in Cincinnati. And I think it's all relative. I mean, it, I, the creative world, it, what do we, they say that it's always, it's already been done. You just kind of got to go find it and kind of dig it up and, and put a new, uh, put a new coat of paint on it or whatever and kind of refresh it. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of it is like opening your eyes and, and getting out and experiencing, you know, everything that you possibly can and then start, try to start to connect the dots. One of the things I, I noticed when I was up in New York at the time where a lot of people were doing um, kind of streetwear and like fashion wear that had to do with the city. So I started Natty Evolvement way back in the day. Uh, if anybody remembers that, it was a fun, uh, <laughs> well, fun I, little experiment. I was going to ask you about that because I mean, now you walk around OTR wherever. You still see people wearing it. It's well, crazy. You see people wearing that, but you also see just tons of like Cincinnati, like love Cincinnati. You see city gear. It's everywhere now. But like you were way ahead of the game. Yeah. Like before I, anybody like really, before that was a thing, you had some pretty awesome stuff that was like projecting the love of, of the city. Totally. And and uh, it was a passion project and it was a fun way to, you know, creatively use what I had done in school and kind of my graphic uh, capabilities and know-how. And people liked it. I mean, I, it sold well. It, you know, I, it wasn't like some big blockbuster business that was going to make me a millionaire rich, but it was, you know, it was worth my time and energy. And I met a lot of cool people through it. To me, that was like kind of my gift back. Palmer's latest venture into fashion is a lifestyle brand he co-founded called Artfully Disheveled. They specialize in ties, bow ties, and pocket squares that he designs. It's uber hip stuff that I'm not cool enough to wear. But again, 
he was wearing bow ties long before it was cool, which, my only hunch is, he traveled over to Washington Courthouse, where he saw my grandpa rocking them, the clip-on kind, and brought that fashion back to the big city. All right, back to our chat. So in the writing world, people always say, if you want to be a good writer, you have to read a lot. So in the creative world, you would say, if you want to be a creative person, you have to go and... Open your eyes and experience a lot, a lot. I mean, anything that... It's trying all kinds of new things. I feel like I I do something new. I have a, I still to this day like I have something that I want to do every year. I'll just pick something that. It, last year I, uh, last year two years ago I climbed Mount Rainier. Never climbed a mountain. <laughs> that seems hard. Never <laughs> climbed a mountain before. <laughs> you just but, like, <laughs> like one day like January you're sitting there and you're like well, I mean <laughs> I had to get I had to like study up a little bit and just we I up. went with a group and it was guides and whatnot but you know it's. <laughs> still 14,000 some odd feet and wow. people die on it every day. But <laughs> That's way too many feet. <laughs> and it was a lot of work, but it was, it was a challenge and it was different and I hadn't done it. And I don't, you know, I'm not necessarily like Mr. Mountaineer uh, now, but if, you know, I do did you, something different. Do you think that, um, so even the act of doing that may not have directly led to you creating a thing, but do you think there's almost like a, I don't know, like a muscle that by climbing a mountain it develops that muscle in a way that then allows you to take a chance and do something i fully i think it's a it's it may be that like you said it's not a direct uh, result like a equals b but like it is um opening your horizons in every possible way and if you don't do it in across your entire life you're not going to do it in any part of your life um and i think you really need to in order to kind of flex those muscles and to challenge yourself and, and you try everything. I mean, I've tried a million things and like a couple of them kind of had a little like uh, Brad's like hitting the highlight reel of like a couple interesting like c- connections he made. I've done a thousand other things that didn't <laughs> probably go so well or <laughs> I don't necessarily and I'm terrible at remembering everything. But like um, it's also a tireless, I mean, any entrepreneurial, any creative any of those outlets are, are tireless, passionate, persistent, aggressive, continual, like start over again, try again, do it again, do it different, do it like that's, it's trial and error and it's hard work. And like, it's also just putting yourself out there. This week's sponsor, Brad, do you know who this week's sponsor is? No, I'm dying to know. This week's sponsor. Is it a real one finally? Like, are we getting money What do you mean? Maybe someday we'll get money for these. We're not getting money from them? (laughs) Not real money. I don't understand what you mean. What's, who's our sponsor? Mustache combs. (laughs) Mustache combs. Yeah. Do you use your fingers like a poor person to comb your your mustache? (laughs) Like a a poor. Do you need a mustache comb? Comb comb out the crumbs (laughs) with the crummy mustache (laughs) comb. Crummy with a B? Uh-huh, crumb, oh my god. Thank you, crummy. Crummy mustache, mustache combs. combs. With a B. We're talking today about experiences and adventures and getting outside of our comfort zone. So, what's the most adventurous thing, Steve, that you've ever done in your life? Uh, the most adventurous? At least the one that comes to mind. Maybe the most adventurous combined with the most interesting. Okay, so I, probably the most adve- the, definitely the most interesting thing is I, I picked up a prostitute one time, <laughs> um, but not what you're thinking. Yeah, I I had sex with her. 
Oh, is that what you were thinking? That's what I was thinking. No, it wasn't that at all. I was in this <laughs> kick where, um, so I did this thing called the uh, church experiment where I visited uh, 52 churches in 52 weeks, and that was a lot of fun, and people were reading what I was writing about it. And so the following year, I wanted to keep that going and do something else. So I, I did this thing called the people experiment, I think, which I quit, like Ugh, 12 And that in. was going to be so good. I know. I just, I got really sleepy. Was that different than the, the pub one, too? Yeah. And then I did another one for Both like of those. 12, and I, I just, I get real sleepy. We got to get those fired back up, because uh, they're good. But for this one, I, I thought it'd be interesting just to like meet people. And so I had this idea because I was fascinated with prostitutes at the time. <laughs> I just, I lived in an area where there were prostitutes and I would just see them and I would be fascinated with their lives. Like, who are these people? Why are they doing this? I'd be fascinated with the men that would pick them up. Like, who picks up a prostitute? Especially, you know, we're not talking about like uh, like high class call girls. We're talking about women who frankly were not attractive and didn't dress well and were you know they're out there because of a drug addiction and they would have sores on their from like the drugs it just fascinated me and so uh i i picked one up one time and then like you drove your car down uh uh-huh and you said like hey baby yeah i recorded it because i was nervous i was going to get arrested (laughs) that it would be like a sting so I told a bunch of people ahead of time. I wrote about it ahead of time. And I this had, is a true story. Like a lot of people no, joke around true. a lot. Like this is this actually yeah, happened. Absolutely okay. true. And I and so I and then I thought maybe she would like murder me or something. So I, I drove down to where I knew a bunch of prostitutes were and one was walking and she looked fairly normal. And so I rolled down my window and I, I think I remember my exact words were first thing I said to her was, I do not want to pay you for sex. Because I was afraid if it was a sting, they would just arrest me. But if I said that, I feel like they couldn't arrest me. And she said, what? And I said, I don't want to pay you for sex. I just want to talk to you. And she said, what? And I said, I just, I just like, I asked you questions about your life. And I'm sure she was like, this person is insane. And were you so nervous while you're doing this? Like, were you, like, yeah. were your palms sweating? Like, yeah, I was pretty nervous. I mean, I was... I wasn't nervous about the interaction. I was nervous something really bad, like something would go wrong and I would get fired and arrested and all that kind of stuff. So once she was in my car and we were driving, I calmed down and I I told her I'd pay her $40 for her time because I didn't want to waste her time. Yeah. And we just drove around for like an hour and I just asked her a bunch of questions about her life. She answered them and uh, I ended up dropping her off and paying her 40 bucks and... What was your main takeaway from that experience? Um, I, her life was fascinating to me. So she told me about like her childhood and how she grew up in like this horse farm, I think. And like she moved around. And I mean, their, their lifestyle is, is really hard to like comprehend. Like the number of men that she's with every single day. And um, man, it's just the whole world is just fascinating to me just fascinating but you know it's this really sad story and she was you know addicted to drugs and all that kind of stuff it was wild so i doing that i think was the most adventurous thing i've ever done actually picking up a prostitute so bradley um i'm assuming you've picked up lots of prostitutes <laughs> yourself but do you have a different type of story that you'd like to share since i already took that one yeah um yeah, mine's nowhere near that extreme. The one that comes to mind maybe is 
uh, a time in college when I was living in Boston on a co-op. The story I was about to tell right there is the one that I ended up telling at the four-letter word KISS show that we just did at the Woodward Theater. And if you didn't listen to last week's episode, it was an event where a bunch of storytellers got together and we riffed on the word KISS. And because of this conversation that we recorded a couple weeks before the show, I ended up tweaking my story from an adventure story into a love story. So I'm going to play that version in its entirety now. I hope you enjoy. I was 17 years old when I fell in love. And it was actually uh, right here on Main Street. It was two blocks south of us. My, um, my uncle introduced us. And he said... I want you to meet this girl because she's very artistic and she has a bad reputation around town as being maybe a little bit rough around the edges, kind of dangerous, but soon she's going to bloom and she's going to be this beautiful thing. And I could see it instantly and I was instantly smitten. And her name was Cincinnati. And from the start, she just captured my heart. I didn't mean to rhyme right there, but it did. A couple years later, we moved in together. And it was our college years, and uh, we had some wild times. I remember most of them. (laughs) But we did all kinds of things all over the place. And it was just, uh, she was way different than the girl I used to know, Tiffin. (laughs) Much, much faster and uh, much more cultured. And so, things were good. I mean, we had a good couple years. And then I met someone else. And this girl, uh, she loved history. I mean, really loved history. And she had this like adorably cute accent where she would like drop some of her R's. Like she would say, Ka, you wanna go to the park? Her name, Boston. And I was smitten with her from the very beginning as well. And it felt like overnight that we moved in with each other. And we moved into this area called the North End. And it was a part of town that uh, old men were playing bocce ball outside. And there was cannoli and pasta that was being uh, baked and cooked fresh daily. It felt like on every corner. And we rode the subway together, and we walked along the Charles River together. We went to museums, and we were just a good, good couple. And over the next couple years, I kind of dated both Cincinnati and Boston at the same time, and they were cool with it. It was like the perfect scenario. (laughs) And from my perspective, and in that moment, I was in my, what, 20s or something, I could have done that probably for the rest of my life, and that was until I saw her. My friend Ryan sent me photos of her, started telling me stories. And like from the beginning, from that very first moment, I was, I was hooked. At work, I would go and I would stalk her online, right? Like there were a lot of photos and videos of this girl online and I would just devour them all day long. Her name? New York City. I mean, even the way it felt on my lips was enticing. And so I was living with Boston at the time and I would go home and obviously I didn't tell her because this was something different. And while we're watching TV together, I would just be sitting there in my mind playing through what our first date is going to feel like. Like I had it all figured out. We were going to do all of our favorite things, right? We were going to go see the Statue of Liberty. We were going to go to see Times Square. We were going to go eat Ray's Pizza. Like it was just going to be 
everything. And so finally, I was talking to my friend Ryan, and he kind of set us up. And it came to be the Friday of the weekend that I was going to go down there. And out of the blue, I get kind of a message from him. And he says, hey, bad news. Uh, there's going to be 11 people staying at my apartment this weekend. Four of them were like my friends who just happened to come. And his apartment was 620 square feet in Manhattan, which is not enough feet for 11 people to come. And he, he wondered, should we, have, should we have a rain check? Should we do it some other day? And I have to tell you that at that point in my uh, desire for New York City, my lust was uh, irrational and uncontrollable. And I said, forget it, we're gonna make it happen. Like it has to happen this weekend, I have to meet her. So I load up my GMC Jimmy and I am, I mean, I'll be honest, I was nervous that I had to share her for the weekend. But as I'm driving, the solution to how to fix the weekend, it, it hits me like a vision and it's Kmart. And so I'm in Foxborough and I pull off the exit and I get off and I beeline to the sporting goods section and I pick up four camping tents and I race back to the checkout lane and there's Neil Diamond's greatest hits and I buy that because it just felt right. <laughs> so I'm back on the road, right? And I put, I put Neil in the disc man and we are rocking out to Sweet Caroline. Like, Sweet Caroline. Right? Like, I am singing this. I'm on the way to meet New York City. And then, boom, traffic jam in Connecticut. Stuck up, lousy, ugly Betty, Connecticut. It's four lane parking lot. 30 minutes go by. An hour goes by. An hour and a half goes by. I haven't moved, and I'm starting to get mad. Three hours later, we finally get moving and we're dri I'm driving down the highway and I'm trying to talk myself out of this funk, right? Like, the night wasn't going well. It was supposed to go this way. It was going this way. And I'm driving. And about three hours later, maybe say 11 o'clock, I see her off in the distance, rising from the horizon like a sparkly queen. There she is, New York City, the first time I've ever seen her. And boom. Like all of that funk was gone. And I go over the George Washington Bridge and I make it over to the uh, Second Avenue. And at this point, I'm blown away, right? Like she's way taller than I would have imagined in, in person. And I don't know how to say this, but just way more like full body than Boston ever was. And Boston, Boston was pretty, but New York City was hot. Like just beautiful, right? And there's an electricity, I'm driving down the street and we're going, like it's finally happening. And then all of a sudden I hear sirens. And I'm like, that's interesting. Well, so like a good Midwesterner, right? We pull over for sirens to go by. I'm waiting there for the fire engine to show up. And all of a sudden there's a cabbie behind me who's honking at me. And I'm like, we're at a red light even. And there's a car in front of me, I'm like, what do you want? And he's just like, and just gets keep aggressive, like, honk, honk, honk. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Like, I can't do anything. I can't move. And then, before I really realized what was happening, my car starts jostling, and he's driving over the back of my bumper <laughs> to get in front of me, 
and I'm like, did you just drive over my car? I have a GMC Jimmy from 1989. Like, this thing is a tank. And I don't know what happened because it all went like white hot with rage. But I punched my gas and I rammed him. Like I just rammed him like as hard as I could. And he gets out of his car and he's screaming at me and I'm screaming at him and I'm saying, get back in your car. And he's just like, rah, 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 rah. and he's mad and I'm mad. And we're just, I think we yelled at each other for five, like five years or something. And I'm like, it's a red light. You know, we're screaming. And finally the light turns green. And I'm like, get in your car. It's a green. And then he flips me off for like the 30th time. And he gets in his car and he drives off. And like, I snap out of like, whatever that was. Rage demon possession or something. And I'm like, what just happened? Like, this date is not going well at all. Like... And I started thinking, maybe it's not meant to be, you know? Like maybe the universe, maybe the universe doesn't want New York City and I together. Like this night just wasn't gonna happen. And I just kinda, it felt like I was driving five miles per hour down Second Avenue. That's where I finally get to my buddy Ryan's apartment. Well, luckily during that um, delay, Ryan, being a great friend, figured out like how to salvage the night and he managed to procure enough bicycles and rollerblades for like the five of us to just ride that night. So I got a bicycle. One of our friends there, his name was Buzzkirk. He decided that was gonna be the first night that he'd ever uh, rollerblade. And he was this tall gangly dork who every other block we were picking him up because he was wrecking. But instantly, like all, again, all of that funk was gone and we were just flying up Fifth Avenue crisscrossing with each other. I mean, it just felt like a movie, like there was music playing and we were dodging cars and cabs and it was just, it was beautiful. We make it all the way up to Central Park, 50 blocks all the way up there. And Central Park is just gorgeous, right? Like just beautiful. We played on the steps of like the museums and we were just like little kids, it was amazing. And eventually we made it over to Times Square and we were just stopped in our tracks and it was like the glow of electric sex was just, beaming to quote the Christmas story. And I was just like, New York City at this point, you're just showing off. Like, we got off to a rocky start, but this, this is it. And we ate uh, pieces of pizza and we folded it up kind of like she taught us and we ate black and white cookies. And I said hello to the naked cowboy. And eventually we made it home back to Ryan's apartment at about 4 a.m. And we get up to the apartment and it's just covered with people. Like people everywhere, like way more than you. And they're laying down and there's no room to sleep. And everyone's kind of like exhausted because we just rode miles and miles. And that's when I said, I got you guys. And we grabbed the tents and we grabbed some beers and we went up to the roof. We had a nightcap. And just as the rain was kind of starting to drizzle, we popped our tents and we got in them. And I fell asleep that night with New York City to the sound of rain hitting my uh, tent. And that morning... I woke up, it was just a couple hours later, and I unzipped the, the tent, a little soggy from the rain, right? A little kind of hot in there. And I got out just in time to see the sun rise over the Chrysler building. And that was our kiss, our first kiss. And it wasn't, I never could have in a million years expected that or planned that. It was just beautiful. Like it was more than I ever could have imagined. And it was good. A little bit later, I drove back to Boston. I, re I returned uh, three tents to Kmart. I didn't need them anymore. The fourth, 
The, the fourth tent actually blew off of the roof while Buzzkirk was taking a uh, leak. And um, returned the tents. And so I had a couple more escapades with New York, but it became obvious kind of pretty quick that like we just weren't meant to be together. To be honest, I, just, I wasn't hip enough for her, right? Like, and she was honestly just a little bit, she was loud. She, like she never slept ever and it just didn't work out. And about the same time, I started to realize that Boston, like Boston wasn't the one either. You know, she was great and I'll, I'll go visit her every now and again, but that accent. <laughs> like the one, the one was the one. It was the first one. It was the one that captured my heart and imagination just two blocks that way. She manages to reinvent herself seems like every year. She keeps me on my toes. She challenges me to be better. I just love Cincinnati more and more every day. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. My name is Brad Wise and my co-host is John Fuller. I mean, Steve Fuller. Thanks to Jim Zartman of Talkie Records for all of our music. Thanks to Michael Frederick Palmer for hanging out with us. Go ahead and subscribe to our newsletter at rebelstorytellers.com to read the blogs, get deals on our tickets to future shows, etc., etc. Click the podcast tab while you're there to listen to past episodes and subscribe via iTunes. You'll also find links to everything we talked about today. The restaurants, Artfully Disheveled, and Steve's original blog about picking up a prostitute. It's a doozy, so you're going to want to check that out. All right, until next time, keep creating.